Restaurant Unstoppable, episode tree, niner, niner. Creating a culture of helping others is so important. And I tie everything back to like our mission, like embrace community, serve others, create culture. I think that just about everything in life, I always able to tie back to, um, but just watching people like um, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, they want to help one another out. And so when they had the opportunity to help us out, everybody just showed up. I mean, there's customers we hadn't seen for months and they were like, I'm so sorry. I haven't been here for months. Like, but I want to see you. I want to make sure you're okay. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, being generous, extending goodwill, caring about other people, um, putting others before yourself, that service mentality. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Increase return visits by 200% with five stars. Five stars helps you build a database of your customers spend and visit behaviors. Five stars also helps you stay continually connected by automatically sending personalized offers and rewards. To learn more, head over to get.fivestars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you set up a demo, five stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. What are you waiting for? Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Salvatore Sanchez and Alan Warford. Guys, are you feeling unstoppable today? 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Salvador Sanchez always wanted to own a business, so he started saving and getting clarity on what that business would be. In 2013, Sanchez opened a cup of Commonwealth, and in 2016, Sanchez acquired Magic Bean Roasters, and at the end of 2016, Alan Warford came on board, and they opened Chocolate Holler, and they're crushing it out there in Kentucky, uh, Lexington, Kentucky, to be exact, and I can't wait to find out how you guys got to where you are today and what makes you guys just rock so much, but before we dive into your story let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra take it away uh, we actually have a mission statement that we kind of do everything by we make all of our decisions by it and that's embrace community serve others create culture yes i was secretly hoping you would share your mission statement because it just rocks so uh dive into that uh how does that mission statement resonate with you and how do you live that every day yeah, um, I think for me personally, uh, I just always noticed the people I respected um, a lot and the businesses I respected a lot always had those three pillars, community, service, and culture. Uh, so when it got to the point where it was time to open the shop, uh, it was important to have a mission um, already set up. We want to be a mission-driven business. 
So um, it was really simple. Um, and we just realized that everything that we do now, um, the way we operate the business, the way we treat people, it always comes from that lens of community and service and culture. Um, and I'm sure Alan probably has some more perspective on all that too. Yeah. I mean, it just, it definitely just kind of like set the tone for, I think our businesses and the way that we run them uh, because it's something it also extends beyond the businesses. So um, it goes to the employees. It, uh, the mission statement means different things to different people, um, but it really just kind of sets the tone for uh, for every day that we do stuff and for every decision we make for the business. Awesome. I love it. So uh, we're going to go back in time now. We're going to kind of try to paint the picture on how uh, this came to be. And I guess let's start with uh, Salvador. Uh, how? When did you know, I guess, that you were going to make a run for uh, – the coffee business. I mean, you always knew you wanted to open a restaurant or uh, own a business, but what did you really start getting clarity on what that business would be? Um, I mean, at a young age, we, uh, we drank coffee at home and it was always a lot of milk and a little bit of coffee. And then over the years, it kind of went to black coffee. Um, so it was always kind of there and it was always very much uh, representative of community and family for me. Um, and we had a lot of just entrepreneurs in our family. So um, owning a business wasn't out of the realm of possibility and it was actually probably more in the, the forefront of it all. Uh, so as a, as a young boy, I always wanted to do like a restaurant or a bar, which I think most young boys like have some idea of that. Like, that's what I want to do. Um, and then I met this girl who I really wanted to date and she was working <laughs> at a coffee shop and slash barbecue shop. So I decided that's where I wanted to work. Uh, and that's not necessarily a great business model. So it eventually went under, but I stayed with coffee. Um, and through that, my parents were always teaching me to save money, um, make sure that you have enough, especially if you want to own a business. So um, just over time, 15 was when I started that job. Uh, and then uh, I went to two or three other jobs, working for different companies, building up a network, staying in the coffee industry. Uh, and then by the time I was 30, so 15 years later, uh, the coffee shop kind of happened. So a lot of people think it was like, this thing just popped up in Lexington. And for me, it was 15, 20 years of getting it ready in my head. Yeah. So, uh, I'd love the, the fact that you, you mentioned saving, uh, getting experience, working different places, learning about business. And also you, you were really, it sounds like from the story that I, I read that you were really strategic about where you were going to open a coffee shop. So I kind of want to touch on those things. Um, first, what, what were you doing to get the experience? You, you went to Texas and, and you got some experience. What were you doing in Texas? Yeah, I went to um, Amarillo, Texas, which is a really interesting town for a young man. Uh, um, and I worked for Hastings Entertainment. So they had a coffee program um, and I ended up eventually taking over their coffee program and their customer service program. And I think um, in their heyday, it was like 155 stores, 10,000 employees. Um, so I was able to really kind of help build that coffee program. Um, got to visit a lot of different coffee shops around the country. We did a lot of stuff with Coffee Fest and um, SCA. Um, and then from there, I moved to Austin. I worked for Whole Foods, um, and I did uh, their coffee, tea, spices, chocolate, houseware, and roasting programs for their Southwest region. Um, kept building the network, kept building the connection. So um, a lot of it was just making sure that I knew what I was doing in the industry, um, opening a lot of coffee shops and coffee bars for other places. Um, and then because of all the travel, I'd seen a lot of different cities. Um, so at the time, um, one of my really good buddies and I were planning on opening the shop. We started looking at different cities. We wrote them all down. Uh, and then we just kind of picked different categories that were important to us. One was the size of the city versus coffee saturation. If it was a college town, where it was in like just an arts and cultural scene, um, how close it was to family. Like I really like the idea of being close to family, but also enough distance away. Um, so Lexington popped up in the top five of all of our lists 
Um, and eventually it just kind of made sense. We're like, let's just go there. We can take the emotion out of it. Um, and what was really cool about it is we moved here in May of 2013 and opened the shop in July of 2013. Wow. Uh, so, okay. When you were looking at the locations, you mentioned you, you wanted to pay attention to, uh, competition so what did the lexington competition i mean what, what was the, se- the coffee scene in lexington before you opened 2013 uh it was there wasn't strong yet i mean we had uh, we have definitely some really powerhouses of second wave coffee houses here um but we want to kind of bring in that like somewhat of third wave coffee um into the mix we wanted to bring some education um so we were able to tap into something that wasn't there yet in lexington and so much was happening in lexington like we t- talk about all the time where it was like Austin 20 or 25 years ago, um, where breweries started popping up, um, more restaurants started popping up, um, a lot of like wine uh, uh, retailers started popping up. So it was just a really fun time to be in Lexington. And um, for me, and I think for most um, like restaurant tours, other people know that like with food and craft beer, um, craft coffee kind of comes along with that. Um, so it was it was just ready for something like that. Yeah. And that's why it was so important for us to, to jump in here. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Alan, did you want to chime in? It sounds like you're, or are you just agreeing? <laughs> uh, I, I like agreeing. It's great. Uh, no, I'm actually so. Whereas Sal is a Michigan native, uh, I'm actually from Central Kentucky originally. So it's even been cool for me to see Lexington. Um, just kind of like from my whole life, last like 26 years, um, and how it's definitely changed in the last five years. So um, I started coming around the shops actually as a customer first uh, within the first few weeks of it being open, and I've kind of seen how all of like Lexington from like the coffee scene and even restaurants and beyond has kind of grown and how the downtown portion has grown too. So um, for me, it's just really cool to see, uh, yeah, like cut being there on the onset of that, like right at the beginning of that growth for small businesses and for restaurants. Awesome. And Alan, I haven't forgot about you. I want to dive into your story for two. <laughs> I want to stay kind of chronological to keep it uh, easy to follow. So um, yeah. I kind of jumped ahead. I asked about location, but uh, when did the, the vision really start to get clear for you? Salvador, and when did you really start living intentionally to make that 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 dream, that vision into a reality? Um, so, in a funny way, it definitely was like when I was fifteen. So, we, my parents taught me this kind of interesting trick of um, you save ten percent of your paycheck, um, and ten percent also is put aside to your family, and that's something that like. I don't know if it's true or not, but it felt like it was very much Mexican culture where your, your parents are aging for so long and they always take care of you. So you always make sure you put money aside for them. Uh, so that was kind of building up um, over the years. And um, I used to like map out, like this is what the restaurant will look like. This is what the bar will look like eventually what the coffee house will look like, um, what the ideas are. Um, so, and every year it kind of changed. Cause I was like, oh, I'm going to open it when I graduate high school. But then I went to college and I was like, I'm going to open it when I graduate from college. And then I went to Hastings. So it was just like kind of as, time uh went on it would change and it would mold but i was still saving up um all of that money um and not even like realizing it too you're, you're putting 10 percent away in savings um and then 10 percent goes to family and then there's usually just like an extra amount to end up just going into savings uh so by the time i think i was in hastings i'd really started kind of getting a, a picture of what we wanted to do with it um and then when i moved to austin uh, I had a little bit more free time because Hastings, it was, um, I was in charge of 155 stores with these programs and Whole Foods, I had a region. So I just 
had more free time, I was more comfortable with 35 or 40 stores. Uh, so I would spend my nights like mapping things out, um, planning what the coffee shop would look like. We originally thought we were going to name it the coffee pub and like have it more of like um, a bar, coffee mixture. Um, but there was a coffee pub already in Lexington. So we couldn't take that name. So we had to come up with a different name and we changed the model a bit. Um, and then when I had left, in no way is this a slight on corporations I worked for, but I was just somewhat anti-corporate at the time. So it was very much like um, vomit from it where I didn't want it to be cookie cutter. I didn't want it to look nice. I wanted it to look dirty and grimy and very old school mom pot. Um, so it, it had this like life of what it was going to be. And then right before it happened, it really started morphing into what it is today. You said you were in a, uh, was it Houston or Austin, Texas? Austin. 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 What, what year were you in Austin? Uh, 2012. Yeah. 2012. Okay. So just literally just before you opened. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I love the path that you were on and what you, the, the way you just went about doing this, uh, visioning the power of visioning and having a vision and mapping it out and writing it out and just dreaming and, and you, you will literally manifest destiny. And the other huge part of this obviously is putting that 10% away uh, it compounds over time. And, you know, as you make more money, that 10% gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and cash is king. Uh, and if you want to create your own vision, if you want to bring your own vision to fruition, like you, you need your own money because as soon as you get start bringing in other people that they start wanting parts of their vision to go into it. Uh, yep. so, I mean, do you mind me asking how much did you put, have put away and how much did you originally <laughs> invest? I mean, it's an important topic, like knowing yeah. how much to have. Yeah, no. Um, so uh, I knew I had to save up enough for um, the coffee shop opening, but then also three to four years of me just living. Um, so I think ultimately ended up being like around like a hundred thousand. Um, and then I also like had, um, I was able to bootstrap with people and I had a lot of friends in the coffee industry. So they really helped out and um, gave us a lot of breaks. Um, but the idea was that I didn't want to take a salary for a while um, to make sure the coffee would be the coffee shop would be sustainable. So that was why I think I even saved a little bit more. Um, and some of that tied into like retirement, everything like that. Like I knew like what I was planning for specifically to make sure that we could open it in time. Um, and I was waiting for uh, me to turn 35. But when I hit 30, um, uh, my friend was telling me like, let's just do it. Let's move forward with it. Um, we got to take a chance. And yep. which made sense. Cause I mean, today, if I look at it, I still wouldn't have opened the coffee shop if I would have waited until I was 35. Um, that's still be like a year away, which is crazy to think. Um, and now I make far less money, but I'm a lot happier with what I'm doing. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> so was it a hundred thousand dollars that you put away to be that three to four year cushion? Plus was that your initial, investment money or was it a hundred thousand yep. that you had put away? Okay, cool. So yep. how much yep. of that 100,000 went towards of the actual investment of the business and how much did you put away to live off of? Probably about 50 went to the shop and then the other 50 was for me, the first three or four years. Um, and, and I live like pretty minimal, which is nice. Like if I liked nicer things, it would probably be a big problem. Uh, but fortunately, uh, I'm cheap. And my parents taught me that at a very young age, we ate a lot of rice and beans. Um, and, uh, the shop, what we did was, I mean, we had to cut a lot of corners. So we figured out, you know, how do we link up the plumbing with the bar correctly in this building? Um, we were very specific in what location we needed. Um, if you walk into the shop, almost every single table and chair here is donated by the community. The walls were painted by like friends. The bars were put together by pastors and some other good friends that we have. 
Um, the floor, like literally my business partner and I like ripped up the tile to make the floor the way that we want to look. And the floor is ugly. Like it wasn't even that great of a decision, but it still was better than the tile that was there. Um, I mean, everything around here was just like what I think is so great about it. It's like your living room, you're walking in and you're like, yeah, I did this. I made this. Um, and we were able to do it very cheaply. Um, cause like with Hastings and Whole Foods and, and even Espresso Americano, we spent a ton of money opening coffee shops and there's just no way, uh, we felt that that was the right thing to do um, for this mom and pop coffee shop that either was going to take off and um, be uh, what we live off of or uh, not make it and have to go back into um, a job somewhere else. So. Yeah. I love how you, you pointed out keeping your liabilities as low as possible uh, and, you know, and just putting that money away. So you don't, you don't need to sustain that crazy lifestyle when you want to go out and, uh, start your own business. The, the, when you can keep that minimalist lifestyle, I mean, it makes life in starting business so much easier because cash is king and you want that cash going to your business. Um, man, you're, you're dropping great advice on us. Uh, talk to us real quick about the importance of, of that network. You mentioned you had a lot of friends helping you out. You met a lot of people before opening in the experience or in the industry, uh, meeting people in, in the industry uh, and just also just learning about business and, uh, how much of how much of your success do you contribute to that network and just that time spent learning about the business? Gosh, almost all of it. I mean, I've, I've had so many good mentors. I mean, my parents um, were really big on like making sure that I was creative. Like I wasn't like, I was really good in school, but I hated it. And so they were always really good about like making sure I wrote or I drew or something to like keep the creative outlet, which is really nice. Um, and then they would give me advice even to this day um, of like, uh, make sure you're thinking in terms of this and they're, they're not necessarily like um, business people anymore, but they still have very interesting insight and they know me so well. So they can say like, Sal, you're being stupid. Um, and they're some of the few people in my life that I don't get insulted when they insult me. <laughs> um, and then I, I had some really good bosses over the years at Hastings. Um, John and Sue were two that stick out in my head the most um, just because Sue was so good about just soft skills and, um, and body language and just teaching you how to read people and understand people. John was very much like old school, almost like steel mill kind of CEO, which I really needed at that time. And somebody being hard on me because most people I've worked with over the years and most bosses I've had have been really kind and soft and generous to me. Um, John was very much like, this is how it is. This is black and white. He actually was somebody that looked over the business plan. And when I had told him the plan, he was like, you're just spoiled. You're so used to working for corporations, having all this money. He goes, now you're an entrepreneur. He goes, you need to go in there, open as fast as possible. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to be perfect. Open the doors and let your customers tell you how the business should be run. That was the best advice yes. I got from anyone. Um, and we opened the shop. And that's why we opened the shop so quickly. And we were able to start putting money into the bank. Um, and he said, over time, you can make it look really nice. He goes, your fifth or sixth store, let that one be perfect. Your nice. first one, just open it. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's kind of we take in from him. Oh, there's, um, and then, there's this quote. Uh, sorry, I got to share this quote and I'm probably going to destroy the quote, the quote. Uh, but it's like, if you, if you're 100% happy with the product that you launched, then you waited too long. Uh, it's not going to be perfect out of the gates. You, you, you just start with that minimal viable product, get, just get started, get the ball mo- moving and then always improve every day, show up and be just a little bit better. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff. So you, you shared some great advice uh, from Josh. Uh, on entre- like entrepreneurial advice, but what about operational advice? Give me the one nugget that you picked up from Josh uh, on just how to run an operation or a, a business. 
Yeah, I think, um, and I'll probably lean more towards Sue on this one. She was uh, such a great operator. Um, and what she did was when she first came into Hastings, she was the VP of operations. Um, she brought in a level of accountability and people. And so I remember um, one thing she kind of talked about in one of her first presentations with like all the store managers, all the district managers, I think we were in Dallas or something. Uh, and she had said, um, so you're in retail. She goes, but what's happening is you're in retail for people. You work for people. People work for you. Everything's about people. Mm. Um, and she just kind of explained and like she said, cut all the extra excess. Um, just focus on people. And that was like really, it resonated with me. And it like helped me when I visited stores to talk to district managers and regional managers and store managers a lot better where I just connected to them as human beings um, rather than here's the quality review. Here's uh, this um, store within a store checklist that we didn't fill out. Um, correctly. Uh, and it allowed, I feel like me to be a better operator, understanding that um, if I can get someone else's perspective or know where they're coming from, I can reach them in a lot of different ways um, and then teach them what I need to teach them um, and learn from them. I mean, I'm, to this day, I'm still learning. I mean, the newest barista will teach me something at any given point. Um, and I think that's what, that's what I mean when I say that she just was so good about teaching people soft skills. Mm. So the, the big lesson I got from that, uh, that I want to extract is get other people's perspective. Uh, is that and it's about people? Obviously, that's the big overarching. But listen and get other people's perspectives. Do you want to dive into that just a little bit more? Um, and why that's so important? Yeah, I mean, I think you just don't know where people are coming from in a lot of ways. You don't know like what they've been taught. Um, sometimes people are burned by businesses. One thing that we see a couple all the time is that we'll get somebody, um, we'll bring somebody in, and they've been burned by so many businesses and treated badly, or. I'm a business like, oh, you can tell me this, and they would use it against them later. And so they feel like that's what happens in every business. Um, and so you have to go back and understand where they're coming from, then talk to them and explain like, hey, this isn't how it is anymore. Um, I think, uh, um, I don't know if I can swear this podcast or not, but uh, not CYA is a bit, <laughs> cover your own ads, you know, in corporations. So it was like, save all these emails. And that was something we try to teach people here is like, you don't have to save emails. If you mess up, it's okay. If you forgot something, it's okay. Just be open and honest about it yes. um, and know where people are coming from um, when, when that's happening. So I, I mean, I, I'm thinking of two employees right now where if they're always so worried because in past companies, um, they got in trouble for silly things. And so now it's just teaching them like, Hey, I get that you have baggage, but like, let us take yeah. that baggage off your let us take that burden off of you and make it a little bit easier. Yeah, like your employees don't have to live in fear. If people make mistakes <laughs> and uh, if if they are afraid of you and they do make a mistake, they're not going to tell you about it. You're going to they'll, they'll let it go for months and whatever that mistake might be could end up causing you hundreds if if not thousands of dollars. So if you create that culture yeah. of openness where oh shit, you know, I effed up, uh, I better tell somebody before this gets really bad instead of sweeping it under the rug. That will serve you and your, your business way better. I love it. Um, yep. Cool. Okay. So I guess moving on, um, we talked about why Lexington, uh, the I guess the coffee, the, the second wave coffee scene. Real quick for people who aren't familiar, what is second wave coffee? So um, the best way of putting it is like first wave is similar to like Folgers and Maxwell, like really when coffee started coming out. Um, second wave was more of like Pete's and Starbucks. So they're teaching everybody that um, coffee is this cool thing. You can go and you can drink coffee and you have lattes and mochas. Third wave kind of brought it back to more like craft wine um, where it's like learn about the varietals, learn about the education of coffee. Um, and that's kind of the, the what's brought us to where we're at today. Awesome. So what was, so you, you said that, uh, Lexington was kind of, uh, in 2013, they had reached that second wave coffee, meaning like espressos, lattes, uh, like the, mm -hmm. the Starbucks of the world. Uh, but they quite haven't gotten to that third wave, which is like the, just like the flavor of the bean, uh, like the, the, the quality of the ingredients and the 
sourcing from all over the world is kind of what you wanted to bring to the, the town. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we also wanted to, we, we probably call ourselves more like a 2.5 cause we still love the idea of throughput and good service. I think sometimes comes with second wave. Um, so we want to have the education and teaching people about like slow bar and all the different, uh, different types of coffee, but we wanted to make sure people understood that if you want to come in here and you want to get a mocha, if you want to get like a crazy foo-foo drink, you are absolutely allowed to do that because more importantly, <laughs> more about the community than we are about the product so welcome to oh sorry go, go, i was gonna say go with third wave, yeah i was gonna say with third wave culture too that kind of has this like vibe of being a little bit more like snooty or so educational that it scares people away and like that's something that like i don't know i think we wanted to make sure that the shops were like um from what i've heard from sal and also even now how we run the business like make sure they're welcoming to all types of people from whatever knowledge whether someone drinks folders at home or whether they do like pour overs and chemex and slow bar stuff so um i think that's really important so what, I guess, what wasn't being met in Kentucky? What did you want to bring to Lexington, Kentucky that wasn't being done? And how did you want to serve a specific niche? So the funny thing is, I think that um, it wasn't that I wanted to bring something to Lexington. What I learned uh, is that I wanted to be a part of it. Okay. There's something very cool happening in this community right now, in this city. And I think I, I hope more and more people realize and see that um, there's some spark that's happened. Um, something's been ignited. Um, there's a lot of great energy. Um, we're, we're working on a lot of different things in the city. Town Branch um, in the middle of the city. Um, a lot of key players are moving around. A lot of small business owners are trying to be movers and shakers. Um, and there's just something exciting about it. Lexington, if you come to it, come to the city, it's, it's all about like celebrating the silliest of things. Like if it snows out, people will run out in the middle of the street and they're like, oh, it's snowing. And I think that's so <laughs> cool about Lexington and special about it. So, yeah, I mean, we... We definitely wanted to bring like our mission to Lexington, but I think more than anything, we just want to be a part of what was going on here. Awesome. Cool. Um, I also wanted to highlight what you mentioned earlier about uh, you stayed lean, but in order to stay lean, you, you leaned on the community. You brought uh, uh, people just contributed a little bit. I can't remember exactly what you said, uh, but I, the sense of ownership, if you're a guest and you're coming in and you were part of helping you open that restaurant, what, what impact do you think that has? Everybody kind of contributing, having that like that little piece of ownership, the community really owning this, the space. Is that a stretch? Uh, no, I think you're right. I think that's the great thing about the coffee shop that's different from other either coffee companies I work for or even um, like other things that we're a part of. Uh, People that come in here, especially our regulars, they feel like it's their living room. They feel like they can um, do what they want to do within the realm of respect. As long as they're treating it with respect, we treat them with respect. Um, and I think that's what's so nice about it. Is they can look around, too, and say, I brought in this table. I brought in this chair. I, I mean, I've had customers walk over like, I painted that wall. Um, and that's I just something really powerful because like, when you go into your house and you think of friends that have come over or family members that come over and like, yeah, I, I helped you put your bed in your room or I helped you move that couch. Or I remember that Nick on the wall because you accidentally like dropped the couch on my foot or something. Like <laughs> it's those little things that um, I think it, it let, allows people to own it. It allows stories to be created from it. Um, I think of like one chair specifically that Don, he's uh, an 83-year-old guy that comes here all the time. He, uh, When we were 800 square feet, we were a really small coffee shop, and there wasn't enough seats one day. So he dropped off his coffee, he drove down to Costco, bought a folding chair, came back, set the folding chair down, walked up to the bar to tell Chris and me that he just got in that chair. While he was talking to us and getting his coffee, a young girl walked in, sat in that chair, and started pulling herself up to study. And he turned around, and he saw her, and the first thing he said was, oh, hell. And then right after that, he's like, well, that's why I bought the chair, so people could sit in it. And it was that cool thing where it's like he felt like he owned it. He felt like he should bring a chair to the shop. 
Um, and he also understood the community aspect of it too, where sometimes it's bigger than us. Like if you want to have, it, <laughs> you can have that seat. Oh, that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing it. And uh, I guess let's start talking about uh, why, you know, hindsight being 2020, what did you do uh, operationally business wise uh, that ensured uh, your success? Like in the early days, what were you doing in the early days? Take us through what that looked like. We messed up a lot. <laughs> that's, really, that's really what helped us get through it. Nice. Uh, we, um, so the beginning, um, Chris, who is my business partner back then, um, we came in here about five in the morning and we worked until about midnight every night. Um, and we did that for about three months and here and there we started like hiring people and having them take in like breaks and, and everything. But that part of it, I don't think people always understand that with entrepreneurship is the sacrifice you make and what that does to you physically and emotionally. Um, so that first part was really draining and really tiring. And, um, but you got, we fed off the energy that customers had when they would come in and they would talk to us. Um, so it was tight with money because, um, yeah, I had money in the bank and that's what I was kind of thinking of paying myself with, but there's still that nervousness that, well, what if this, if I need to start pulling more and more money from that to help the business? And there were times that had to happen. Um, so that was, that part of it was always really scary. I think the, the coolest thing that probably happened that we weren't expecting about five months into it, um, we were probably, um, we were tight at that point where, we and we were like kind of nervous about things. It was uh, early December. And then uh, one night we got broken into and um, they stole like all the money and everything. And at that point we still don't have all the systems that we wanted yet. Um, so we had enough money in here to like annoy us, <laughs> nothing that was going to completely put us under. It was actually more expensive, like to fix the window. Um, but when we got there that night, we kind of had to wait for the opening baristas to show up um, because we, the window was broken um, and the opening breezes arrived. Uh, they were kind of like, Oh, it's going to be a horrible day. And we're like, Hey, it's, it's all right. Um, uh, we both like had to run home and just shower because we've been up all night and then we'll come back. Uh, and then we'll, um, we'll help you guys out the rest of the day. And uh, I told opening barista um, that, Hey, we don't have any money to give them until the bank opens. So if customers come in and they pay with cash, just give them the drink for free. Um, so customers started showing up and the first customer came in, uh, and he paid with the 20 and she had told him, she goes, we don't have any change. Like we robbed last night. Like I have no money to give you. So he just said, keep it. And then the next person came in and they did the exact same thing. And then the next person came in, they bought a pay it forward. Um, and then somebody else who didn't have any money came by and dropped off a piggy bank for us to collect money to raise for the broken window. Um, and then somebody else dropped off an envelope full of cash and then people just started bringing food and drinks. Um, and I think at that moment, that day, um, we just kept getting like hugs and people were getting teary eyed. It felt like somebody that was like really loved in a family had passed away, but everybody was coming over and hanging out in their living room and telling stories about it. Um, so it just changed the trajectory of the coffee shop. Like I, I mean, to this day, I don't know if like we would have kept going, but that shot us up at that point. That was the busiest day we had ever had in five months. Um, we got an article in the Huffington post and suddenly like our business shot up, um, for a long time. Uh, and that really helped us kind of push through the holiday season, um, in January and February. And it reminded us too, of like the mission, like seeing how a community takes care of you. I mean, we were there for five months and these people that we had met only for five months treated us like they were friends for decades. Wow. Um, and they knew us for so long. So it was a really cool thing for us to see like how a community gets behind you and, how they support you. And, uh, and it makes us like want to do that all the time. So now because of that, because we're really stupid and ridiculous, we've created a break in day. So every December 9th, we just do free drinks for the city of Lexington. Oh, that's um, awesome. 
and it's just like a fun, crazy day. So <laughs> what's the underlying lesson that you can extract from this? If you could just distill it to like a few words. Um, I, I think it's just like extending goodwill, um, helping out people. I think we creating a culture of helping others is mm. so important. And I tie everything back to like our mission, like embrace community, serve others, create culture. I think that just about everything in life, I always I'm able to tie back to, um, but just watching people like um, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, they want to help one another out. And so when they had the opportunity to help us out, everybody just showed up. I mean, there's customers we hadn't seen for months and they were like, I'm so sorry. I haven't been here for months. Like, but I want to see you. I want to make sure you're okay. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, being generous, extending goodwill, caring about other people, um, putting others before yourself, that service mentality. Mm-hmm. Alan, I haven't forgotten about you, man. I don't want you to think that I forgot about you. We're going to I have <laughs> questions locked and loaded coming your way soon. Don't worry. And uh, before, yeah. <laughs> before we get to we move forward, uh, you mentioned you made a lot of mistakes. Uh, reflecting back, what was the biggest mistake you made? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I think this, uh, I think this one sounds kind of strange, but like um, I've learned that you, whenever you forgive people, you have to make sure they know that you forgave them. Um, I think that you, I mean, you end up letting people like carry burdens um, and even to, to a, like a less personal um, part on that is uh, making sure that people know that you thank them, that you appreciate them. Um, like I remember about eight months into it, I sent a letter to my parents, like thanking them for everything, like all the stuff that they had done. And I hadn't done that. I mean, that was 30 years of being their child and never really like truly appreciated them. Uh, so I think that, um, that's probably the biggest failure I've had Wait, in life. I don't, I don't know if I picked that up. I, um, I, if you forgive somebody, you have to know that you forgave them. Did I hear that right? They have, they have to know that, um, you forgave them, uh, cause you don't let them take that burden off their shoulders. They still carry it with them. Um, so okay. that, and like, thank Well, I think just in general, I've learned to like, make sure that I tell people how I feel. Like, um, I think that it, it's, uh, it's just a, I don't know. It's just not a good thing to carry all that stuff. So, um, I think I, I did that continuously through every job I had. I just didn't think enough. I didn't forgive enough. I didn't apologize enough. Um, and it's just like an overarching thing that hopefully I've learned. Um, but I'm probably still going to mess up quite a bit on that. <laughs> so is it just communicate your feelings as mushy and gushy and cheesy as that sounds? Is, is that what you're saying? Just communicate how you feel and what you're thinking, get it out there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And probably even too, like, so Selena is pretty uh, good friends and can see things from similar light too. But I think even just like, even what you're trying to say is like in the midst of like times that are tough and you do F up and you do like make mistakes too, like making sure that you like um, always like communicating exactly how you feel. Because I know that like um, in multiple times where like the business has been at an interesting spot or it has been difficult or there have been screw ups, even when I was a part of it now and even before as a customer, um, it's always good to, I think, communicate exactly like how you're feeling. Um, if you have forgiven someone or if you have messed up, make sure you immediately address it. Um, and when any time that it hasn't been addressed, it always gets worse. So whenever you don't address what's going on um, immediately, you give it time to fester. So that's probably what you're even trying to say too. Hold on. Great stuff. Awesome, guys. Um, okay, so let's talk about scaling. So uh, you started, it was just you and your business partner, Chris, the two of you guys just working crazy hours. You slowly started adding people on. Uh, you know, what, what did that, that, uh, that growth look like? How did you start scaling and uh, getting to the point where you're not working in the business, but now you're working on the business? Um, 
Yeah, I think at the beginning, we had this plan that we were going to work every day open to close for six months. Um, and that was going to save a ton of money. The problem was our body started not responding well. <laughs> uh, so we, we started doing it by need. We're like, okay, we need to hire people to cover breaks. So we would hire people and they would work an hour or two here or there. And then it was like, we need people to work shifts. Um, and then we started hiring people to do shifts. And then um, we realized that we just have to start running the business and not just being baristas in the business. Um, so we slowly started pulling back and eventually it got to about five shifts a week for each of us. Um, and I, it, then it became more of now when we need people and it makes sense, we're going to do hiring. Um, and we created this like really interesting hiring process that um, I'll probably let Alan talk about more because when we get to the chocolate holler aspect, we use that quite a big deal um, to kind of get that up and going. Um, but then that allowed us to really hire the right people at the right time, not rush. Um, so now we feel like we are able, at least from a people perspective, bring in people at the right time um, so, and when the business is ready for it. So at what point were you getting to the point you said it was for you know hiring first for breaks, then for shifts? Uh, how long did it take you to get to the point where you're now you've got a, a few baristas on, uh, they're working a few shifts and you're now, I guess, working on the business. Like how many years or months did that take? I'd say like working on the business probably happened by September. Um, we, I mean, I, I know for sure we started creating office days for ourselves um, and started kind of breaking up how we want to approach the business. What, um, when did you open? I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I get the time. July, July 1st. Um, and then September, I would say is where we really started to, um, but the advantage too is that we came with a lot of experience. Um, so it, we knew what we were working toward anyway. Um, I think that if I would have opened the shop when I was in my early twenties, like uh, there was a point where I thought it was going to happen. Uh, I would have not done that. Um, I yeah. fortunately had good mentors that like had taught me to make sure I think about that ahead of time. So going into this, I knew there's gonna be long hours. Um, I'm not going to be able to work on the business, but I have to get to that as quickly as possible. So we got to it so much sooner than I think a lot of other people do at times. Um, and, uh, I mean, I would lie and say like, I don't do that anymore, but I mean, we both still like work shifts from time to time. We're still like working with the staff all the time. We're in the shops all the time. And we're sitting in the coffee shop right now in like our makeshift back office. Um, so, uh, I think from, from day one, we were at least thinking about that stuff. And then two months later, we actually made time to sit down and go over that stuff and be strategic. So what's your advice for somebody who's listening to this, who's still working in the business? Uh, what's your advice to help them get to the point where they're working on the business? What key things did you do that they could do? Um, planning and prioritizing. It's like that whole um, plan your work, work your plan. I think sometimes people think like, oh, I'm not a planner. I'm scatterbrained. What they don't realize is that... Um, you can be a planner and you can be organized and you can still be scatterbrained. There, no one says that because you write a plan down, you have to follow it. It just at least gives you some direction and you might fall off that path from time to time or just take a few steps the wrong way, but you're going to get yourself back on it. You yes. can adjust you can say, oh, <laughs> yes. another way. Um, but people get really scared of that sometimes. And I just, I think that it, it's the wrong thing to do. Yes. Yeah, so you need that, that plan, even if it's a vision or a mission, like you're going to shift off center line. It's going to happen. You're yeah. not going to be on the center line all the time, but when you write it down and you have that plan written down, like you at least can correct faster. You can get back yep. on course faster. Cause you, 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 you drew the line, you know, you're not yep. just like floating in the clouds. Like you, you have a direction, you have a path. Awesome stuff. Yep. Um, where are we? So, Let's see. I, I want to ask uh, about the relationship with Chris because he's no longer a partner. What happened there? 
Um, I think ultimately, uh, he, I mean, not yeah, even, we I think get I personal know. on this, this podcast. We, 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 yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, um, I mean, to be honest, we've, we lost uh, a friendship for a bit. We've actually just about a year ago become really good friends again. I, I would consider him one of my best friends again. Um, but, uh, during the time, uh, I think he really thought, I mean, I know he really thought he wanted to be a business owner and through it all, he realized that he didn't want to be a business owner. Um, and we had some push pull and I mean, I can be a control freak. I can be really aggressive with people. So I know that's part of it too. <laughs> um, and, uh, over time it just didn't make sense. So, um, he left about 10 months into the shop being open. Um, and, uh, we, we made sure he got a job and he moved, um, to, to Denver for a bit. Um, and then he's actually moved back to Lexington. He comes into the shop just about every day, comes into chocolate holler every other day. Um, so it all worked out. And, um, I think that, uh, uh, I don't know, it's a good thing. It's cool to see when you think a story is going to end one way and it turns out to end another way. Uh, and it gives you hope in how you treat people and how you view the world. So, mm-hmm. so uh, w- would there have been anything different, uh, you know, going through the experience, learning what you learned, what did you take away from that? Um, I think that I probably, um, would learn to manage my ego a bit. Like I think sometimes like anyone, any business owner, I think has an ego and it's just a matter of like controlling it and managing it, making sure your friends call you out on it, um, or your family. Uh, I think that when you make a mistake, uh, you let people know when they make a mistake, you let them know, um, when you, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just, it's just, real like personal stuff, making sure that you, uh, treat people how they should be treated. Mm. Um, and, uh, and the same thing, I mean, that goes back to a little bit about the forgiveness, making sure people know when you forgive them so you, they don't have to carry that weight. Um, cause it's not fair to them and it's not fair to you. And I don't think any humans allowed to hold forgiveness. I think that's something we have to give up, um, to people that, you know, we see and meet in life. So awesome. Alan, um, what's up, dude? <laughs> hey, <still> there? <laughs> uh, yes, I am. It's All right. Great. So, you a couple of years, I guess almost another year goes by. You you don't have a partner. Alan's uh, uh, is he an employee at this point? Is he a, a customer at this point? No, Alan and I became um, so he was a customer from pretty much day one. Uh, we just didn't know each other that well, and I actually left for Denver for a bit. And when I left to Denver, um, he uh, I think started coming in the shop a lot more. He'll probably know better than I will. And then about a year, year and a half ago, we started becoming really good friends. Um, and we just started talking business. And I think a lot of people, even some of our employees don't realize that, um, Alan knew a lot about the business before he started. We were just talk about it, share ideas, um, uh, talk about other businesses and what we're trying to do and how we view life. And then, um, we brought him on, um, this time roughly last year. Um, and then, uh, I mean, and you'll hear from him in a second, like he's extremely intelligent, extremely talented. And uh, it made a lot of sense for him to kind of jump on and, uh, be an owner here. So, uh, why, I guess what, what was it specifically about Alan? I know he's sitting right next to you, so this makes it kind of weird, but what was um, it? What did you see in him as a partner? Uh, why, why would you want, I mean, what, did he have certain strengths? Uh, did he counter your weaknesses? Uh, what did he have money to bring to the table? Like, what was it that made you think, okay, like this is the guy I want to partner with? Um, I think he understood the mission a lot. I think that's one thing that I've learned. It's it's, it's a mission driven business, and um, that's how we uh, live life. And uh, you talk to him for a second, and you realize that's what he believes, and that's um, how he views the world. Um, and that's probably more important to me than anything. Is somebody like can can understand it and come from a good place when they're making decisions. Um, and, 
so I think it was really simple. Um, we, we see the world in a lot of the same way, also a little bit differently, and that helps out um, with, like, you know, managing each other's weaknesses. Um, I don't want to do this by myself my whole life. Like, I, one thing I realized when I was doing it by myself was um, I didn't have a lot of time in the day. I didn't get to see family. I didn't get to talk to friends. And um, I think that's the nice thing about it. And I also think that, yeah, we're here to, to create and do fun things, but we should share it with people. Um, so that part has been really nice. And I mean, honestly, if you would have asked me two years ago, I would have been like, I don't want to have a business partner. I don't want to <laughs> deal with that again. Uh, but uh, it got to the point where I just realized like, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's nice. And I mean, I don't think there's been any like issues. Maybe there has been. Alan just hasn't told me he's about to reveal it. <laughs> I don't think there's been any issues or problems. It's been really easy and it's been really like helpful. And like, I know that I'm starting to be able to have a life outside of the coffee shop and chocolate shop, which is really nice. So, so Alan, what were you doing before you hopped on board at Commonwealth? Yeah. Uh, a, a couple of things. Um, so yeah, so I was like customer for a while and then, um, actually, I think where the initial contact kind of started with kind of getting more involved on like the staff side is um, I did a lot of like graphic design stuff for them. So I did their anniversary posters every year. Um, I actually got a degree from architecture school at UK and have kind of been in like took a more graphic design focus. So, um, so I was doing like posters for them and T-shirts for them and coming in the shop working on my own personal endeavors. So um, I've kind of like always ran small businesses since I don't know, I grew up on a farm and we raised tobacco I mowed yards in high school. I started a DJing company my sophomore year of college and ran that for five or six years. Um, I have, this is, this shows how just random my life is. Um, and then from architecture school also um, started like a little uh, woodworking company on the side. So I've always kind of had small businesses going um, just from the things that I've been passionate about. And uh, that's why I think Sal and I became really good friends is because I was doing graphic design stuff for them. Um, started coming to shops a lot more working on my own businesses and then we started talking about business mm. and then from there it kind of snowballed. So um, I think that's kind of like where it all started is just like being a customer. I was, I don't know. I love telling people this too, from my perspective as a customer, I can vouch for how strong the mission is because I felt it. Like I felt a draw yes. to keep coming back. So it's like, I could have officed out of any coffee shop. I could have officed from home, but I was officing on my other companies inside of this coffee shop because it felt like a home to me. Um, and so that's kind of like where our friendship started where this partnership started. And then from there, it's like, honestly just took off in a way that I didn't plan for. I don't think Sal planned for. So this was not, again, two years ago, I was not thinking, Oh man, I want to start working with Sal at this coffee shop um, that I go to a lot. So um, it's kind of more random how it happened. So what was that transition like from being a guest customer uh, to employee? Did you start picking up shifts? Like how did you, how did you transition in? Yeah, it was great. Um, so um, I got kind of like jumped on right before Christmas. So I think everyone was just in a good mood. They received the really, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so uh, hopped on board. Sal and I were hanging out a whole lot too and going and like looking at different like locations and talking about businesses and submitting grants for different things. And so I think people kind of saw the friendship developing and I started like hanging out a whole lot more, but I came on just as a barista. So um, I actually got trained. So I went through a month of training um, just like the, like baristas go into, I started working, like I got trained as a barista and worked as a barista for the first several months. Um, as I took on, um, like graphic design and like marketing duties, um, as like a director. So I kind of took on both of those, uh, hats on the beginning, um, was trained as a barista. And then eventually over the span of the months, like kind of like, um, stepped closer and closer toward, um, 
Yeah, but taking on more of a leadership role um, into like the ownership. So um, I think we kind of probably knew that was on the onset, like an idea at the very beginning because there were other business ideas floating around, but um, it just took about probably six to eight months for that to finally settle in and become a part of the place that I was going to be essentially like uh, leading one day and, and being a part of. So um, yeah, so started as a barista and then picked up from there. Okay, cool. Um, man, I can't believe we're already at 48 minutes of recording time. Uh, you guys, you said you do not have a hard stop. I don't want to uh, take advantage of your time. You you can run. You can run as fast <laughs> as you, guys, you like. This is great. Yeah. You guys are giving us great advice, and I really want to dive deeper uh, on like the whole expansion. So we haven't even talked about acquiring the roaster and opening uh, the uh, chocolate. Uh, ho- was it Holla? Sorry, Holla chocolate. Chocolate Holla. Chocolate Holla. I'm dyslexic. So now for our third location, <laughs> we might do Holla chocolate. <laughs> so uh, when? So I guess take us through uh, what you know to be true in regards to expansion, what key things did you guys have to do to start taking on more? Um, I think the, to me, the most important thing is maintaining your culture when you do it. Cause I think a lot of times businesses grow too fast and they forget about the culture. They don't think about it. Um, so we've been trying to be really um, uh, focused on managing the culture, making sure people understand, you know, um, what value they have to the company, how, why their position matters. Um, so it, I think that's number one. Number two is like, how do you scale? How do you expand? What needs to happen? What positions need to be created? So we started creating um, different management positions. We did three directors. One was over training and um, the roaster. One was over operations. One was over marketing. Um, we created coordinator um, and assistant positions underneath that, um, but just building the infrastructure mm-hmm. to be able to expand and to be able to scale. Um, and that all ties into culture. Yeah. So focus yeah, on culture, reinforcing the culture and then to management, uh, adding structure, uh, titles, roles, responsibilities, anything else? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the culture thing was big. I mean, just setting down good roots. I think that's one of the, and it's probably just a reiteration, but, I think, I don't know, the plan, initial plan for Cup, like we talked about, sometimes it changes. I know it was to already have a second coffee shop within the first, like, few years, and it didn't happen. But I think it's because, like, the shop was putting down good roots. So um, I think that's kind of, like, one thing that, like, I would say that, like, Cup has benefited from is having those four years as a coffee shop with solid roots. And then um, having the chocolate shop, like, there was the structure built up to make that even possible to be successful. Um, and that's right when I came on board. So like I came on board as one of the directors, um, Alex who had been here for three years. Um, she was the director of operations. And then Joe, um, he's actually like uh, also like he works like magic beans and he's been there since day one too. So you had some people who've been a part of the culture for a long time um, and people who were like uh, very good at their skill set for their position before we stepped into a second location. Um, so whereas maybe okay to get the coffee shop started on the ball and then figure things out, um, it's probably good for the second location that we had like a little bit of knowledge and uh, years under our belt before we did that. So, yeah, and I, I'd say it's sorry, growing in scale. Oh, is, growing scale. This is Al speaking we, right, right now, or Sal speaking right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. with growing and scaling, we um we look at it more like a spiral effect too, where it's like you're going to start somewhere and then you inch your way out and kind of expand from there. Not the model of like just jumping to a different city or jumping to a different place, but like making sure that you're able to. So chocolate holler, if you're um 
if you're looking like we're in, at a couple of Commonwealth right now, we can see Chocolate Hollow from where we're sitting right now. It's just two major roads away. Um, so we built it so that people can learn how to multi-manage. Um, and then over time, we can keep expanding. So it's a very methodical process, which is a slower process. Um, uh, there's some frustration in that. It's not a fast rate of growing. But it's um, way more impactful. It, it's so much more yeah, impactful. Yep. It's sustainable. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah. I want to go deeper on culture and then we'll uh, let you share anything that you haven't shared yet. And then we'll dive into the speed round, but culture, you said the first thing you said, why, why, you know, how, how did you uh, support this expansion? You got to get that culture down. You got to get that culture strong. So what advice do you have? What key things, specific things should we do to improve and have a strong culture? I think uh, I think like one thing for us is like uh, we've already talked about the mission clearly like from being uh, I don't know rooted in something good um, the hiring process uh, that's something that Sal mentioned earlier I think that's very important for us in regards to like having a good culture um, I think it's something that sets us apart um, and it's unique so a little bit about our hiring process it's a little intense um, it's kind of even funny talking about because I think we'll talk to like people who want to work here and they're like wait what. Um, but we have actually the first process, part of our hiring process is uh, we do a group interview. So that can be anywhere from 30 to we've had upwards of 100 people uh, who've applied. Um, and we basically put them all in a pool of one big group interview. So you're kind of like putting everyone in this one space together. You're kind of just like spitballing, um, popping, a, like asking a few questions. And essentially, you're seeing how people respond, but maybe even more importantly, how other how people are responding when other people are talking. So you're paying a lot of attention to body language, you're paying a lot of attention to, um, are they listening? Are they interested in people and kind of picking up on like nonverbal cues from people. Um, so that's actually the first part of our interview process. Um, from there, we go into a panel interview, which is, uh, kind of like a, it's an interview with Reese's. So, um, it can be interview with us and then someone who's been here for one month and then another person who's been here for two years, but it's probably more typically like your normal interview process with about uh, just the one person and about three of uh, us, like our, uh, the employees. Um, and from there, uh, after that, we go to a shop interview. So if people make it through the group interview and the panel interview, then we go to a shop interview where they're actually behind the bar, kind of showing off their customer service skills, kind of just talking to people um, and kind of just seeing how they fit in so uh, with the culture. That's kind of like a stage, basically, like on, on the floor, like almost like a volunteer or like, are you paying them at this point or are they still vol- uh, interviewing? We uh, do like a gift certificate form. Oh, so we okay, pay them okay. like... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then from there, then they they essentially like will be hired. And and even before all those three, there's a a phone screening too. So it's kind of like a three to four step process for us in the hiring. And it sounds kind of intense for a coffee shop where people are just like, I'm in college and I want a job. But like, um, I think that says a lot to the people who come on board. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it says a lot to our turnover rate. Like we actually have a very low turnover rate. Um, Some years literally made it to where like 90% of the staff stayed for an entire year, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Um, so, and we also have like, I mean, the other day we were laughing because at Chocolate Hollow, we were sitting there at around lunchtime and there were nine people who worked on our staff inside the shop and only two <laughs> of them were there. So um, there, they, people hang out, like people like really do buy into the mission. And so I would say first and foremost, our hiring process definitely contributes to culture. Um, I'd say also too, like customer service is huge. So, uh, one of the things we try to do, um, just like, I don't know, we want to give a good product, right? Like, I think that's very important, but because we're this community driven place, we really want to give people a good experience. So, um, we have a few different things, 
uh, to help with that. One of our things is uh, we can put that we can, we can put that in the back pocket because there's going to be a question that we'll ask about that, okay. and uh, I'll let Let's, you shine then. Uh, but I do want to say before we move on to the speed round um, that where I want to take this podcast, things I want to do with this ta- with this podcast, when we get opportunities like what you just share with us, where you really gave structured advice on the hiring mm-hmm. process, I would be honored if you would come back. Uh, for like a half hour episode where we really dive deep into that process. Would you be cool with that? Yeah. That's yeah. the direction yeah, I want absolutely. to take this podcast where we're really sharing awesome advice and actionable advice. So that'd be great. Uh, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I, I kind of put you on the spot there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so before we go to the speed round, um, anything in this free flowing portion of the conversation that you were hoping we would dive into any thoughts uh, that are right at the cusp uh, of your tongue that you, you want to get out before we, we move on? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, necessarily. No, we can just speed around it and go from there. Right. I mean, we have a lot of thoughts, but <laughs> <laughs> great. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? Well, if you haven't, it states that for many events, roughly 80% of effects come from 20% of the causes. How does this apply to the restaurant industry? Roughly 80% of your total revenue comes from 20% of your customers. That 20%, well, those are your loyal customers. Five Stars helps you get more loyal customers and helps you strengthen the bond between existing loyal customers. This method is so effective that Five Stars users have reported up to two 200% increase in revenue. Set up a demo today and learn about their two newest features. Word of mouth, which allows your guests to share the rewards they earn at your restaurant with their friends and network matching, where basically if you get a hundred customers to sign up, five stars will send you 100 new customers that have never been to your restaurant. To learn more, head over to get.fivestars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you see a demo, five stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. Get on it. And uh, awesome. we're back. The first question I have for you guys is uh, what is your it factor? Uh, and this is not the restaurant it factor. This is each of you. What What are your personal habits, traits, characteristics that you believe most contribute to your success? Let's start with Alan. I got you. I would say a lot of like where I'm from. So, I mean, I grew up on a farm in farm culture. Uh, it is very family oriented. Um, I grew up with a dad and a granddad that have worked harder than any human I've ever like seen in my entire life. So um, I think for me, that's kind of like a personal thing that has carried through. Like 
I was kind of like raised to like earn what you receive and, um, and work really hard and like serve your family really well, which to me also means serving your friends well. So um, for me, I would say it's a lot of the factor is kind of like, I don't know, humble beginnings and like farm culture adapted to business. Humble beginning, farm cultures adapted uh, to business. Beautiful. And uh, should I call you Sal? Is that what everyone calls you, Salvador? I mean, doing the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> they, both, they both work. <laughs> Let's go to Sal. What's up? What's, what's your if factor? Uh, I'd say um, work ethic. I'm, not, I'm just not really talented at a lot of things, but I'm really good at working really hard and just like doing stuff until I get to the right um, answer and result. So I mean, that's what's gotten me to, to where I am today. Uh, okay. Now it's time to pull back a layer. Uh, I th- Cause one thing I love uh, about this industry is I think that if you are the kind of person that just has the endurance, uh, the will uh, to be successful, you can make it. Uh, if you have that work ethic, if you don't necessarily have the talent. So why, why do you think you are able to attract onto yourself the talented people? Um, I, I mean, I just think that it, there's a lot of people smarter and more talented than me. So it's really easy to be like, Oh, that person's not working here. That person's not working here. Um, and, and I think I am like, um, pretty good at like eyeing talent. So, um, that part's really helpful. Um, and, and seeing things that I respect or admire in other people, I'm like, that's what I want around me. Cause that's going to make me a better person. And, um, that's, you know, ultimately, you know, that's what we want to do. We just want to be better. And I'm, I'm reading the situation here and I'm going to make an assumption. Feel free to correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, Sal, you're the the why guy, uh, as Simon Siddick would put it, the why guy who's the dreamer, the the visionary, the 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 you know trying to create something in your head. And it sounds like Alan, you're more the how guy, the the hands on, build it out, make it happen, structure mind, structure in mind. Uh, you know, is, is that a stretch? Uh, I think we go back and forth a lot. Okay. <laughs> there'll be moments where I'm like that, and there'll be moments that Alan's like that, and we kind of go back and forth. He's definitely much more skilled in terms of like building things and putting things together. And I'm much more skilled at like breaking things and falling apart and be like, Alan, I need your help to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. cool. But I would say in terms of the coffee shop itself, that is kind of true. Like, I mean, the heart of that, like the heart of the mission is definitely like, you know, Sal, like Sal, like founded that wanted to start a coffee shop in 15. I wanted to run my own businesses and I've had a heart for people. And this was like, it just so happened that it lined up really well. Um, and, and there's also, different endeavors we've been talking about too. So it's not, I don't know, that's not offensive in any ways. I think that actually kind of for the coffee shop is kind of how it happened. Cool. All right. Next question. That was a really, that was meant, these are supposed to be like, like 30 second questions. It's not on you guys. It's on me. I, I get distracted way too easily. I, I'm like a, I see a, sh- a shiny object and I just go after it. Um, what is your biggest weakness? Alan? I'm bad at delegating things. Next. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I want to take things on uh, myself, and I think sometimes it's better to let someone else do something, even if they don't do as good of a job, because it's a teaching moment for them, and it's creating um, like sustainability for the future for them to like take on things that they that I shouldn't be doing. Essentially, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And uh, Salvador, what's your biggest weakness? Uh, asking for help, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a really bad habit. All right, <laughs> but not. A- what, what is one question or thing you look for during the interview process? Mm. Um, I'd say we probably are collectively the same on this. I don't even think we really like ask particular questions or we're looking for a particular answer. But whenever I talked about body language, I think we're looking to who the person is and like how they respond when other people are talking. Um, the caliber of the things that they're saying, we look a lot to character in the process. So 
Um, we've hired people who are really extroverted and crazy and have all the right answers. And we have people who don't really say much at all and really quiet, but it's all about the character and how people answer. Um, I don't know if Sal would say something different, but I'm no, I'd say the exact same thing. The only thing I'd piggyback on is like during our group interview, even people think that we're paying attention to what they're saying and we're not, we're paying attention to what they're doing and how they're treating other people. Okay. Yeah. G- dive a little deeper. Um, give me like something specific that will tell some, or that will, I guess, uh, help share what kind of character somebody has. Like what's a, like a, a body movement or a language or something that somebody might be doing that, that kind of gets at that character. Yeah. I mean, oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's a very obvious thing of our people listening. So we've had people give great answers when we talked in a group interview and then someone else goes to answer and they, they're not making eye contact with them. So that's a first one. Like if they're not giving eye contact to the person speaking, that shows that they're not listening very well or interested or engaged. So that's a more obvious one. I'm sure Sal has the first obvious one. All right, there you go. (laughs) Um, There's also like little things you can tell when people are nervous or you can tell little habits. Those aren't necessarily turnoffs per se, but um, I think paying attention to someone is huge. So eye contact is one of the biggest things to look for in a group interview process when you're talking to people and seeing how they look at you and engage, but also how they're looking at other people. And quirks, like sometimes you'll catch quirks or like somebody being like maybe dishonest and you just dig a little bit deeper. Like even with the speed around, when you hear something, you kind of keep probing. That's the same thing we do in interviews where we feel like, Oh, that might've been a dishonest answer. We're going to keep checking and keep mm-hmm. asking questions, to make sure that they are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Awesome stuff. All right. What is your current challenge today? What is the biggest challenge you're currently dealing with? Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, we've actually touched on this a bit, but, uh, but probably growing this company while maintaining culture, um, even with, so we have technically three businesses now, it's about 22 employees total. Um, it's still small and it's still hard to keep culture with just that. So, um, we have a growth model set up to continue growing and developing. Um, so we're really just trying to figure out how to maintain the culture and the heart of this place, uh, while still growing. What do you think the secret is to maintain that culture while growing? Man. I mean, part of it's being role models, part of it's being disciplined, um, part of it's like making very clear expectations. I think sticking to our, our mission, our hiring process, all of that. Um, yeah. And I would say the the other part of that challenge is like um, we've been so um, not for like uh, investors or partnerships mm-hmm. or, um, or debt. And so like we're just now starting to get into the realm of um, from like, hey, let's take a loan out to do this and this. So that part is like interesting for us and like kind of navigating the waters. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, and just like making sure that we treat everyone feels special at works here. Cause when it was two people or 10 people, it was a lot easier. Now there's 22 people running around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, are you guys familiar with, uh, the Zingermans? Yeah. Yeah. I oh, uh, love them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you, you remind me a lot of them on uh, the sense that they, um, they're growing slowly. And I think that's the secret is it's, it's, it's focusing on impact and relationships and recreating yourself yeah. and others over time slowly uh, and really transforming people and be- making them into better people. And that's our job. Our responsibility as restaurant and business owners is to invest in our people, to make them better people, to give them the skills to eventually go and do their own thing or maybe to yeah. invest in them as a partner in our business. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what exactly what they do. Uh, and, and I see you guys being a lot like them in the future. I don't want to jinx it. Uh, <laughs> that's a big compliment. We love yeah. we love their model. We went and visited them in March and oh, took a great. tour of some. Oh, oh yeah, awesome. they're great. They're awesome. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, and uh, this is kind of like values. Uh, that transformative thing that we were talking about before, like how do you you know how do you make them better people? 
Um, I'll say like, so we clearly continue to point to our mission statement. Um, I think the serve others portion is very practical though for um, teaching your team how to do something. So like um, literally like treating the difference between like um, just saying like, Hey, how's it going? Versus like, what's going on with your day today? Like, what do you have planned? Like that's just a personal contact. Um, I don't know that I think extends beyond, I don't know, the coffee shop. So it's like teaching people to serve others. Well, we, we also, this is also a random thing, but we bring waters to people who sit in the shop and that's not a normal thing for a coffee shop per se. It's usually like a fill your own cup or, you know, or don't have water, but like we actually take waters out to all the people who are sitting in the shop. So I think just like, I don't know, kind of teaching our like staff to like treat others well and serve others. And that's something that goes way beyond the shop culture. Awesome. I love it. Um, you, you guys sound a lot alike. Was that Alan or was that Sam? That was me. We, we've only gotten that a whole lot. So, <laughs> so uh, did you want to add anything to that, Alan? Uh, no, I mean, he, that's perfect. Awesome. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? And uh, to kind of explain this better, uh, and I use this example all the time, when I was staging at Row 34, they taught me that when you approach a table and you're holding something in your hand that has nothing to do with that table, you hold it behind your back. So what's something like that, an unstandard uh, service that you guys do or uh, something that's not common knowledge? Um, like Alan just said water. I think another thing is like just um, being... I don't know, just like really treating people well. So I remember one time somebody tweeted us and said, man, I would really love an iced vanilla latte from a cup of Commonwealth. And so we found a way to get in a car and drive it to her on campus and drop it off. And she was so shocked that it happened. Like we just showed up. What is going on? So it's like, it's always going above and beyond. I know that we had uh, an employee, um, her name's Basil. And one time we just had a line to the, the back wall. And this is when we were still a small coffee shop. And there was no way that like we, we knew we weren't giving great service. And I was like, Basil, I was like, I need you just to be crazy. And so she got a bucket, jumped up as she's steaming milk and just starts rapping to like a Jay-Z song. And everybody just like got so excited and started singing with her. So it's like, <laughs> anything that like just ties people together and makes it feel like very like, man, they care for me. This is, this is like my coffee shop. This is my community. Oh yeah. man, that's awesome. I love it. And uh, share one online resource or tool that could be like a magazine or like a, a, uh, a tool like a Canva or any like online resource or tool. Yeah, I'll say google.com. Is great. <laughs> uh, great. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> online resources tool. So um, I'll say a actual practical thing for people. Uh, we started using Slack as like a, a productivity, like a communication uh, like app for our staff. And it's actually been really, really helpful. So in terms of like a business or like, like a way to like communicate within the staff, uh, Slack has been really helpful for us. And there's a bunch of other equivalents of those out there, but um, I mean, there's like group me's and Trello and a bunch of other random ones, but like Slack's really worked well for us in terms of resource. Awesome. Uh, did you, that was Alan or is yeah, that me? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Who's, is me yeah. Alan? <laughs> me is Alan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Alan. <laughs> All right. Cool. Sal, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Oh, I think that's, yeah, Slack was, uh, we're really glad that we jumped on that. There's times that we get really annoyed by it, but it's such a great tool. Awesome. Uh, what is one book that is a must read to become a better person or restaurant owner? Uh, I'll definitely say good to great. It's one of my favorite business books. I think it's just, it's yeah. I, I think anyone who owns a business should read that. Good to great. And that was Sal. Yep. And Alan, anything yep. you want to add to that? Um, well, there's a few books that we tell our staff to read. Um, one that we've read, One Minute Manager is good. Um, have read it. 
Um, personally, uh, I would say the Bible for me, I mean, better person, like that's like been huge for me, but that's goes off the books for, wait, was that uh, a book better person? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, that's what? not, I said the Bible. Oh, the uh, Bible. Got you. Sorry. That's my person. That is, isn't that exactly what you want? A little, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, one, one minute manager and that, yeah, that's, so, that's a good business book. So one minute manager real quick, Alan, what's the biggest, what one takeaway from that book that you can share with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, just like how to essentially like manage people well, um, and take like big picture, um, ideas from things. So not less, like being efficient with your time and trying to teach productivity. Awesome. So it's really good for that. And, yeah. uh, Sal, good to great big lesson from that book. Oh, uh, I think pastor so many, the one is, uh, the right people and the right seat in the bus. I think that's just a very resounding, um, uh, business. I don't know something in business that you just need to know and understand as you're growing a business too. And the inflection points, it talks a lot about inflection points and that's really important too. Awesome. And the Bible is, you know, I'm not a a spiritual religious person. I was raised Catholic, but uh, when you look at what the Bible is really that that's just a book on leadership, a book on values. Uh, And you know, it it should be standard reading. Even if you're not religious, even you don't believe in the religion, like there's so many great values to be taken away from that book. I wonder Mm -hmm. if it's on audio. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm going to get the Bible. There, there, definitely, there definitely are. I think just, and I, I said that like, because it would be dishonest for me to not say it. Um, Cause there is a business portion, but I think even with me and like my heart for people, like the question is like, what can we read to become a better person? There's a lot of like, you know, notes of like serving uh, others, loving others. Um, and not even just love, but sacrificial love, I would say is a theme of the Bible, like um, loving till it hurts, giving till it hurts. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think it can apply to a lot of people. Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, all right. What is one piece of technology you've adopted and you're using in your restaurant? This is more hard, tangible technology tools uh, that are in your restaurant that you're leveraging. Well, square. Yeah. We use square as our point of sale system. Um, why'd you go with square? Uh, it was simple. I mean, that was the nice thing about it. It was so simple and easy where some of the others, you have to get this and you have to get this or to get this square just takes it all. Um, and I, I mean, we love that about them. Yeah. I yeah. think square is probably, uh, one of the best, if not the best for, uh, really small operations that are counter service. Yep. Uh, cause it's simple. Yep. It's very simple. Uh, they also offer financing, uh, for small businesses, which is really good too. Uh, yep. and were you about to say something else that I cut you off uh, before? Um, I mean, there's a few, we probably prematurely answered the Slack question because Slack would have probably worked in there as well. (laughs) Um, Also, uh, we use this app called TeamUp for marketing. So it's kind of like a social media manager um, for, I mean, now we have three shops, essentially four if you count the way that our other companies broken up. So um, so TeamUp is another one for like marketing managing and things like that, social media. This is the last question and it's a doozy. So get ready for it. If you got the news that you are leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom uh, you could leave behind uh, for the the good of humanity. What would those three things be? Uh, I'd say our mission again, embrace community, serve others, create culture, community, serve others, culture. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Guys, is there anything I didn't ask you? Something you were hoping we would discuss that we never got to, to cover today? Uh, now's the time to get it out. Yes. I'd say the only other thing that we would say that is like foundational to us or the shop or something that would be a good takeaway for this. Um, we have this thing uh, called a pay it forward wall at our shops. And it's like foundational uh, to the mission, uh, to like, everything that we do. Um, and so basically what it is is it's this wall 
of drinks that other customers can buy for other people. Um, so it started as like a butcher paper sign of about five or six drinks. Uh, you could buy a drink for anyone who's headed to work or anyone who's having a bad day or someone who's got purple hair or to someone who would do 10 push-ups or um, that's kind of how it started. And it went from like five drinks to probably over a thousand now. So we have wow. an entire wall devoted to drinks that other customers have bought for other customers. Oh, that's so so cool. it's nothing that we've done, but you're creating an opportunity for people to be generous because I think we all by nature want to be able to give and love and, and serve people. And that's been something that I think we would love to be known that like the pay it forward culture of our shop is something that we want to carry throughout. And, um, and we've adapted some of that ourselves. And then we've also seen it extend beyond our shops. Other places have started pay it forward walls in Lexington because of the one they saw here. Um, so that goes beyond the shops, but it's definitely something we'd like to talk about. Awesome. Great stuff. That was Sal speaking. That was, that was Alan. Alan. We're really you guys, nice. Yeah. <laughs> you guys sound so much so, uh Sal, did you want to add anything? Thank you for sharing that, Alan, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean it's been great. I mean, and, and like Alan was saying, it's it's two walls now, floor to ceiling, just full of free drinks on these coffee spaces. And it was something that like when we wrote the business plan, we thought it was gonna be just a small part of the business and it just took off. Like Lexington loved it. Some of like the craziest, funniest stories come from it. And that's also a big part of our culture is um, these pay it forward. Like people want to talk about it. They want to share about it. They post about it like, Oh, so-and-so I bought you a drink. Um, so there's, there's just something really vibrant about it. Um, and it's really cool to see more and more, um, uh, businesses have that pay it forward model now. Awesome. I love it. And it's it, what you're sharing with me kind of reminds me of some advice I, I like to give often in, regards to uh, social media. And I feel like a lot of people put the cart in front of the horse when it comes to social media. They say, what can we do um, on, like, what can we do to, you know, create content to put on social media? Um, they're, they're thinking of doing things for the sake of social media. When, what can I do to be awesome today, right in this moment to really just be totally rad and help other people and then focus on just being great and then open up a window to how awesome you are using social media. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that's what you guys do. And I hope I explained that well, but uh, you guys have been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your story, to share your advice. It was a great interview and we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is, that's how I found you. Pablo from proven called you out. Shout out to Pablo. Thank you so much. Um, who was one independent restaurant operator that you admire that you think would make a great guest mentor on the show uh, like you've made for us today? Uh, I'd say two, Rob Perez um, and Wida Michael, um, both here in Lexington. Um, Wida has about eight to 10 restaurants now here in town, and Rob has two restaurants. He just opened up another one, and it's employed by um, people um, who need a second chance. Awesome. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a really powerful um, uh, restaurant here in town. Rita, Rob, look out. I'm coming after you guys. Um, that was Sal talking? Yep. Alan, did I cut you off? Did you want to mention anything, or are you on board with uh, Sal? I'm on board. Ditto. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Uh, before I let you guys go, uh, what's the best way to connect, uh, social handles, uh, email. If you want to come join your team, learn under you, uh, maybe stage or whatever. What's the best way to connect? Hmm. Swing by the shop. So, uh, you can definitely follow us on social media. It's just kind of one of the things that we're definitely like, uh, we don't really have an insanely great website or necessarily push people a ton to like our social media handles and stuff. Like, um, I don't know, 105 Eastern Avenue, Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, you can always give our shop phone a call, and we filter lots of things through there. Our email is info at a cup of com. So if there is a question on any things that we have, if you go through the info email, 
it will get to one of us, whoever it needs to be. Yeah. So, and we want, and we want people to come in the shop and yeah. experience it. So people that in Lexington that are listening, like we def- definitely want them to kind of just walk in and so they can feel, you know, what we're talking about. Um, and everybody else kind of to, to Alan's point is, yeah, email, find us on social media. It's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I plan on coming by the shop sometime soon because uh, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And I, my, my goal of this podcast is to take it on the road. I'm real cool, close to, to pulling a trigger on a van and living out of it. I swear to God. Uh, yeah. I'll, I will put Lexington uh, on my stop, one of my first stops if that happens. And guys, uh, thank you so much uh, again for sharing your story. This is episode 390. Nine. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 399 and I'll have links to all the resources, tools, uh, the books that are recommended uh, and a summary of today's discussion right there at restaurantunstoppable.com slash 399. I also have uh, the links to the website and your social handles there if you guys want to check out what they're up to. Uh, again, I mean, thank you just for letting me make an example of uh, your values and your character and uh, choosing to do something great and to really make an impact on your community and to uh, just to live to serve. And that's what this podcast is all about, making an example of uh, people like yourselves and teaching people how to think and how to view the world. So it was an honor. Yeah, thank you. Thank thank you, you so we really appreciate it. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. These guys rocked. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Uh, some really great advice in this one on just how to have discipline, I feel like is a good word uh, to describe these guys, uh, specifically uh, just the story of coming up and saving that 10%. Uh, that's a really great habit to develop at a young age. Do your kids a favor and help them develop that 10% rule uh Early in life, it's so much easier to, to create those habits early in life, and uh, I think that that just the way he went about creating success in his life, uh, starting with that ten percent, putting that money away, getting the experience, having that vision, uh, and just continue continuously working towards it, uh, surrounding yourself with mentors, people who will teach you the industry, networking, meeting people that can help you. Uh, and just really getting that clarity and, and then putting that money away. So when you are ready, you have money in the bank, you have skin in the game, you will give yourself to the opportunity to do it your way. And you won't have to rely on anybody else. Awesome stuff. And just the emphasis these guys put on culture and service to others and community uh, and really just choosing to have an impact, choosing to transform lives and to uh, surround themselves with other passionate people who have the same values and uh, finding the right partners. I mean, there was just so many great pieces of advice these two fellas gave us. Thank you guys, Alan and Sal, uh, for taking the time to join us, to share your stories, to share your advice, man. It was great. Uh, and like always, guys, please do connect with me. Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com is the email. Uh, you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore. And Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what your challenges are. Uh, we can learn together. I can get people on the show. I don't have all the answers. I'm here to learn just like you. But I do know a lot of people that have a lot of answers. And I have a platform to let them stand on and to share their knowledge. So come to me. Uh, I'm here to serve you. Uh, you. You have to make the first move, though. And what else? Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, they really do help validate my hard work. I am accepting donations. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to ask. Uh, this is a free podcast. I bust my 
by Fanny to put out three episodes a week. It's a lot of work. I am getting by, uh, but every little bit helps. And if whatever extra money I get will go back into the podcast to serve you guys. The best way to show your support, though, is to just share this podcast. Who do you know in this industry who is aspiring to be great? Share this resource with them. Help them surround themselves with amazing people through the stories, through this podcast. It it is invaluable. Uh, Okay, I think that's all for today. Um, I love you all so much. I couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much. And until next time, peace out.